Once again, welcome back to the podcast. Today is Thursday, 21st of November, 1946. And before we hear from Bet, we'll catch up with what's making the news in her hometown in today's Sydney Morning Herald. A big announcement. The Australian Rocket Range will be near Mount Eber, South Australia, and rockets will be fired in a northwesterly direction. The ultimate length of the range will be about 3,000 miles and it will cross the Western Australian coast between Shelborough and Broome. Waterfront employers gave a week's notice to 8,000 employees yesterday because the strikers at Mort's Dock refused to return to work. In the UN Security Council, Belgium, Colombia and Syria have been elected non-permanent members of the Security Council. In Palestine, all rail services in Palestine have been suspended and the lines are being swept for mines. It appears there is no chance of peace in China. The departure from Nanking of the communist negotiator is stated to have severed the last thread of hope for peace in China. Also in China news, 50 European refugees arrived in Sydney yesterday from Shanghai in the liner Yochao. They said that another 400 refugees were awaiting passage to Australia. It is expected that 500 refugees will be in the Ville de Emion when it arrives in Sydney from Hong Kong on Monday. And the city forecast today, cloudy with occasional showers, moderate to fresh and gusty southerly to southwesterly winds, slight to moderate seas. And now, let's hear from Bet in Nanchang. This is Betty Souter, Unra Nan Chang, 21st of November, 1946. Dearest family, I'm afraid that my little Corona Corona has had it. Unra reports must have been too much for her. Kay says that he can do nothing more to overcome her little eccentricities and that her roller needs a replacement, which, of course, we have not got here. However, if I treat her kindly and you will see that I have just given her a new ribbon, then she might cough out a few letters for me now and again. Please overlook all the funny things that you might find in the typing before this letter comes to an end. Added to this is the difficulty that I do all my other typing on the different machine, where I only have the usual two shifts instead of the three on this and I'll probably forget all about that every now and again. This letter is to go with a circular, which I have not yet written, all about my trip to Changsha. Maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, or should I say the wheelbarrow behind the coolie, in writing this part first, but there are always a few family things that don't go into the circular, and I might as well write them now as after. I'm very glad that I had the trip for several reasons. I have told you that I was getting very dissatisfied here and wanting very much to leave. Ever since Bill got the letter of recall to Shanghai, this office has been on edge. The volcano coming out in minor eruptions much too frequently for the good of Betty Mavis. As one of the old Nanchang hands, 
Betty Mavis came in for a goodly proportion of the outbursts too, I can tell you. I want to do the right thing by this office, the new boss, Unra's work in this province and my friends here. They're going away for a few days and now considering things with a renovated mind, as well as teeth, I should be able to decide more fairly whether it is the right thing for me to go or to stay. I will, of course, let you in on the decision as soon as I've made it. Yes, my broken tooth is fixed. It did not have to come out, as I feared, but there is only one quarter tooth and three quarters filling now. The dentist reckoned that I took almost the whole of his supply of amalgam away in my jaw. It sure is a big filling. He gave me a general check-up at the same time and found no other work to be done. He says that, barring accidents such as this, I should have nothing to worry about for another year. He thinks that the front teeth will have to be refilled then. I must say that I approached the dental clinic with considerable apprehension in view of some of the inefficiencies that I have seen amongst the UNRWA specialists, but my fears were groundless. I was quite taken aback at the modern fittings in the room in the first place and by the immaculate cleanliness there. The Chinese assistant, a girl medical student, was in clean white overalls and was busy at the steriliser, working quickly and cleanly. And lo and behold, the dentist himself was a clean, smart young Britisher. He told me that he was in practice with his father for five years before the war and then joined the army, from which he emerged to come to China for UNRWA and suffer the usual disillusionment. Three days have passed since I wrote the first page of this letter. In the meantime, I've managed to complete the circular letter about the trip, so my leisure moments have not been altogether lacking in achievement. On reading the circular, I find that there are still interesting things that I have forgotten to relate, such as the watchman timekeeper of Changsha, the marriage customs of the remote Huan villages, the funeral rites that I witnessed outside one of the matched homes, the bride that I saw at the photographer's, the little boy helping his father to pull the heavy water cart, the road roller sitting in the middle of the deserted road, and the reason, therefore, the man who nearly got left behind when his bus started to move off. Lots of little things that I saw and will not forget. I will not try and relate them here, because this is going to be a pretty heavy letter as it is. And now that the British fleet mail has ceased to operate for us, we have to keep a closer eye on our letter weights. Mail has not cost us any amount worth mention up to this stage. But from now on, it will be quite a big item. However, I think that the exchequer can stand it in spite of the recent expenditures in Changsha. This morning, Sunday, is wet and dull. Marge and I are still in bed, 10.30am, each with a typewriter propped on our knees. I have done some reading since waking up and eaten a good breakfast which I persuaded the boys to bring up to us by way of the back stairs. I'm quite sure that the houseboys here would do anything at all for Marge and I, but we don't impose on them too often. Yesterday afternoon we had some good tennis around at the Y, and I find that even the men 
have considerable respect for my service, which is coming into its own again after a bit of practice. I really enjoyed my exercise yesterday. We were going to play again today sometime, but though D is probably V and W does not P, anyway, I'm happy enough with my reading, writing and knitting, and listening to the wireless as soon as the power comes on. Yes, we have a wireless, and I can listen to shortwave stations, Radio Australia and the news every night. Kay bought this little model while in Hong Kong with Marge, and now that he has to go back to Shanghai for a conference, he's lent it to us, and we are having music all the time while the power lasts. A form came in yesterday asking all personnel to state if and when they would like to be declared surplus. I filled in mine without hesitation. I was the only one in this office who wanted to be declared surplus at all, and I made my date December 1946, so I have taken the first plunge. The boss didn't like it much, I think, but I am doing my own planning in this regard. Now to see if Shanghai takes any notice of it. I work out that it will take me a month to clear up here and get back to Shanghai, and then another month to get myself on a ship to take me home. I plan to see Hong Kong on the return journey, but I really don't have any great urge to see any of the rest of China now, even Peiping. I think that I have observed the real life of this country and that it would not vary much in any other parts or cities. Must end on this page. Oceans of love to you all. I am desperate for mail, which has been almost completely lacking now for a month. Latest mail from any of you was dated October 23rd from Mars. Bet. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry. The voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne. And the featured tune from 1946. A number one hit on the country and western chart for 14 weeks. Divorce Me C.O.D. Performed by Merle Travers with the Cowboy Band. Just bought me a great long ticket. I'm going to use it at 4 p.m. So you can call your secret love and tell the news to him. You thought your little romance was on the strict QT. So if you want your freedom, PDQ, divorce me, COD. I won't be round to hear you cry. I'm Texas bound. And by and by, you can reach me down in Dallas general delivery so if you want your freedom pdq divorce me cod
Come a day, gal, when you'll be feeling blue. You'll find that you can't pay your bills with a little old IOU. That dynamite you're messing with may be TNT. So if you want your freedom, PDQ, divorce me, COD, no need to fall down on your knees. Cause I know all my ABCs. I ain't no college fesser, I ain't got no PhD. But if you want your freedom, PDQ, divorce me, COD. Texas bound and by and by You can reach me down in Dallas General delivery So if you want your freedom PDQ Divorce me COD